Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. My name is Stephen Beckman. I'm the chief executive nobody of the Mesh News Project. The Mesh News Project is the mothership of the Pro 2.0 podcast. You can hear more episodes of the Pro 2.0 podcast without an app at the address of podcasts with an S, podcasts dot COINTELPRO, the number two, and then zero spelled out, that's Z-E-R-O. So that's podcasts dot COINTELPRO, the number two, Z-E-R-O dot com. There's also some companion videos we have for the, the COINTELPRO 2.0, and that is at videos with an S, videos dot COINTELPRO, the number two, and then Z-E-R-O dot com, as well as just the online resource center that is COINTELPRO, the number two, and then ZERO.com. That is a great resource with articles and videos and podcasts all in one. And that is for people who are targets of gang stalking, mobbing, workplace harassment, um, tips and tricks and strategies for whistleblowers and government leakers and even journalists who might be under the thumb of oppressive means or uh, a large group of people who would employ these tactics even on the corporate side, seeing as COINTELPRO 2.0 tactics are also used on targets that, you know, a corporation might deem as a threat or what have you. And since the commercialization of the military industrial complex, these services are available to those who run in those kinds of circles. So visit the website, check out the resource. That's COINTELPRO, the number two, ZERO.com. Hey, my name is Stephen Beckman. This is the COINTELPRO 2.0 podcast. Um, I am the CEN or the chief executive nobody of the Mesh News Project. You can find the Mesh News Project at meshnews.org. Mesh News is the mothership to COINTELPRO 2.0. You can catch the COINTELPRO 2.0 podcast at podcasts with an S dot COINTELPRO, the number two, and then the word zero spelled out Z-E-R-O dot com. You can check out our video series at videos with an S, videos dot COINTELPRO, the number two, Z-E-R-O dot com. And then our online guide full of articles and resources at COINTELPRO, the number two, Zero.com. Being in the program of COINTELPRO, I can tell you my journey has had just a wide assortment of things happen to me while in this program. I've had my bank accounts frozen. I've had an active denial service weapon used on me to keep me from walking into major media outlets in downtown L.A., I've been censored on multiple social platforms. I've been subjected to radiation assaults nearly daily. And that's not microwave assaults, that's radiation assaults. That's different. I'm subjected to constant poisonings, druggings, a massive years-long smear campaign, being blacklisted and unable to pursue a career, which I have my degree and practice for seven years before getting into the program. I've had my privacy made a novelty for others. 
and mainstream media and media puppets of our intelligence services reinforce these smears, which are completely baseless. And then I had to wage an anti-smear campaign to correct this information. I've been given false medical care countless times. I fought three attempts at corrupt psych staff trying to declare me mentally unfit, forcing me to spend thousands of dollars of money that you don't really have in this program to go through independent and accredited uh, psychoanalysts, etc., to verify that these are things that are happening to me and, and not some delusion. I've been arrested on false charges and held on $100,000 bail, which was only an opportunity for law enforcement to instruct in-jail gangs to try to kill me per the guard's instructions. I then had to go to this pretend trial and beat these false charges, only to tarnish my record, making it unable for me to also gain just basic employment. The key like to keep you broke in this program. I've been stalked across state lines and county lines and daily within my own community where I live. And in a desperate attempt to silence or even possibly murder me, I was struck with a car to send a message to shut my mouth. Reasons Others are told of these horrible things and abuses happen to me are just carefully planned out logical fallacies to pacify of which all have been debunked. And I have the receipts. I'm not invited to my own trial because I hold the receipts to facts. Now you can learn more about me personally, view these receipts and see a light shine on how government silences those that it sees as a threat and those who blow the whistle on government corruption at knowstephenbeckman.com. That being said, let's move forward with this podcast episode. Hey guys, thanks for tuning into the podcast. I can be a little bit quiet because of where I'm at. But, um, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so, it's been a minute since I've uh, made an episode. But, um, so, I had this journey where I, um, was researching something for... It was something in our, my last documentary, the um, 2030 Vision Corporate Coup. And um, <clears throat> I didn't touch in detail about how the money was being hidden uh, from be after being washed from the war on terror into the pockets of the transnational security elite as WikiLeaks put it when he actually dropped that bomb 
that um, the uh, he found out that the Iraq War was being used, Iraq and Afghanistan anti-terror campaign. We went we 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 uh, went to war at for like twenty years. Um, it was being used to basically be like a money laundering factory and put it back in the hands of um, the wealthy people involved, people associated with the neocons and the Bush and Cheney's and all their friends who got no bid contracts. It was basically made to wash a bunch of money. It was money laundry. That's why it went on for 20 years. It enriched the um, weapons manufacturers, but it also allowed them to wash a book ton of money. And how much did the war on terror cost? Well, the study of war, which um, is an organization that does exactly what I just said, Aside from the one million civilians that were killed because of the global war on terror, whatever we called it, also eight trillion with a t t t t t t eight trillion dollars was um, washed through that whole thing. There's eight trillion dollars. That was spent over the past 20 years. And a lot of it is unaccounted for. The Pentagon has really poor accounting for some reason still. There's these huge gaps in their budgets. Where hundreds if not billions of dollars just go missing every year. And, I mean the first time it was reported was during um, September 10th. 2001. Yes, the date, it's, that's, you know, that's in our um, twenty thirty Vision movie series. But, um, and also in the, I believe the, the second movie after that. Where the day before 9-11, the Pentagon reported um, $2 trillion missing. And the day after that happened... Um, right? This should have been the biggest story in the country. Um, the planes hit. So they dropped that bomb, and then the very next day, an even huger story happened. Kind of just serendipity, right? So, basically that happened. And I didn't really cover it a lot in my most recent movie. I just kind of flashed to a video of the Panama Papers kind of trying to to show you, to demonstrate, like, they essentially washed the money through, you know what I'm saying? That's what, the same way that, you know, the Panama Papers revealed, and then that money is being hidden in multiple ways. So, anyways, I had this um, one guy who um, was an independent journalist, and I, uh, I just lost the story, man, where he breaks it down, shell companies, etc. And I was just so upset with myself. But, um, and, and, and then I was trying to look to see if I couldn't find the journalist's name so that I couldn't go and find the article or whatever. Where it breaks down how the money was washed and put back in the hands of not only the transnational security elite, but also the Bush and Cheney's families. To which they are now understood to be um, 
major um, investors in uh, Vanguard, which is basically uh, BlackRock's twin, except for BlackRock, we have some idea of who's calling the shots, but Vanguard is this black box. <laughs> Vanguard is this black box. But we do know that the Bush, uh, Bush family is involved, um, etc. But there's this guy who broke it, everything down. And I just I just lost a, lost the bookmark. I lost the link and I tried searching for it and I was kicking myself in the ass. But so I was watching all the stuff on the Panama Papers, etc. Because I was trying, like, I was just hoping, hoping, hoping that I could um, maybe uh, get the guy's name or whatever. That happens a lot, man. I just, it just happens a lot. Anyways, so that happened. And while I was researching, literally just watching hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of documentaries and um, panel discussions, etc. about the panel, like a fucking hour, I spent like the past four hours just watching all sorts of shit about the making of the people involved. I was like, oh, I just couldn't find it. I ended up stumbling across um, the methodology used to essentially reel in this giant story of the Panama Papers. And it's kind of weird because the first it was the Panama Papers that dropped. Then another story similar was the Pandora Papers with a P again. And then another one was the Paradise Papers. So now I got three um, <clears throat> huge stories, all starting with the P, you know, PPP money kind of story. And um, I started, and there was like a documentary about the process on Frontline and et cetera. And so there was all these little pieces and I ended up putting together their process for reeling in this big-ass fish. And me having experience being in COINTELPRO 2.0 and having an experience of having a big fish, but people were ready beforehand because I did not know what I had. Um, if you do happen to have the edge on your provocator, or they don't know that you're researching them, or you're going to dump a story, or whatever. Um, because I, I will tell you this, man, you just can't go to the media anymore and be like, I want to talk to you about a story I have, or what, like, you just can't do that anymore. It's just not how that shit works. Um, it's, you know, especially if you have heat on you, fuck. But anyways... I, uh, I learned a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, I got more adept at the process of how most likely the Bushes and the Cheneys are hiding all their money that they helped wash through the military industrial complex through the 20 years of war. Um, I mean, 
all sorts of things like um, using shell companies. Um, there are these things. There's, there's this process called being a wallet that wealthy people use to hide money, especially people in power. Um, but anyways, the Panama Papers, if you weren't, if you aren't familiar with it, the Panama Papers, um, is this story where many, um, countries, uh, around the globe, a lot of their elite people, like their rulers, uh, people in government, or, you know, their oligarchs, or what have you, um, steal money from their taxpayers a lot of them do and they need to hide this money so how they do it is they do it in these tax havens in like bermuda in like um the cayman islands in monaco and they use shell companies to keep their names out of it and with these shell and there's these specialized law firms in these countries um, that specialize in creating shell companies and managing these and it completely the way it's structured it completely masks the corrupt persons you know the corrupt lawmaker the corrupt uh, prime minister the corrupt you know president king whatever and how they steal money from taxpayers and um, it's so crazy. So basically, most likely how the Bushes and Cheneys are hiding the, a lot of the money that was essentially washed, which WikiLeaks were, you know, um, Julian Assange is famous for um, breaking on, um, where he just kind of breaks down the gist of it, is, um, well, first and foremost, it's important I know some history. There's not a lot of American corporations or American lawmakers or bigwigs in our country who hide money overseas. There are ways to cheat taxes. Um, Apple, I don't know. I don't know if you guys remember Apple, which is basically a three trillion dollar company. Isn't that crazy? Apple's a three trillion dollar company. Um, but Apple was evading taxes like a motherfucker back in the day. And they got caught and it was like hundreds of millions and billions of dollars. And they did it by funneling and doing all this like uh, acrobatics with their money. So co corporations even do it. But a lot of U.S. lawmakers, etc. now don't do this so much anymore. Because, believe it or not, Bush's dad, George H.W. Bush, who is a former head of the CIA, then he became a vice president later on, then he became a president after that, and then he made sure his, his echo, I call him an echo because, um, most likely that's the only reason why uh, George W. became president again, because his dad's a raging narcissist and wanted to hear his name twice in history. Anyways, um, most likely, uh, anyways, his dad went to, uh, his dad, when he was working with the CIA and shit like that, 
basically, um, oh, um, basically like cooped the country and basically gutted it. And so he made it like, so all after, um, Bush's dad went through there and gutted the country, um, using our intelligence services, etc. Panama, um, U.S. wealthy and corporations that are stayed away from it because they knew that basically that country was set up in, you know, um, the government's image. So they couldn't really hide shit, especially from the government, right? But then what happened after that is crazy because, believe it or not, the United States has become this crazy haven for shell companies to hide money. But, you know, Delaware is used as one of those states, but two of the most influential states with very lax laws that allows these um, wealthy people and criminal organizations, etc., to hide their money is, wait for it, the states of Texas and Florida, which both Bush sons were governor of. And in fact, after they um, ran those states, those laws got even more lax. And basically, they are in competition with many of these tax havens now because of the laws on shell companies and etc. to hide these things. In fact, they are such a haven now that even the law firm which the Panama Papers was um, procured from the investigation, um, they it, it was such a such a such a lucrative Florida and Texas were such lucrative states for hiding all these high value people and lawmakers and um, corporations and, 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 and oligarchs and billionaires that that law firm in Panama set up a satellite office in Miami, Florida because of the business was so good there. There were so many people hiding their money there. So believe it or not, it's just so ironic that the two major states in the United States, I mean, a lot of people know Delaware and that's for like small time. But where the big money is being hidden on a Panama Papers level is in the states of Texas and Florida, where George W. Bush and Jeb Bush have both been governor. And they definitely, um, their and their family's influence definitely, uh, uh, even after they were in office, definitely helped continue to influence policy. And that's why they still reside there is because they own those states. But it's just it's fucking ironic, right? So anyways, um, basically how the Bushes and Cheneys are most likely hiding this money that they also helped bilk the nation out of which the Bush family has been used, using to um, hide it through various shell corporations in Vanguard. So then Vanguard could have the funds to buy controlling shares in most major corporations. So then 
since they're the major shareholders, they get to make decisions for those companies. And Vanguard is the uh, is ironically also the largest shareholder in BlackRock, and BlackRock holds controlling shares in all the other companies that they don't. And the biggest shareholder in BlackRock is Vanguard, and the biggest shareholder in Vanguard is BlackRock. It's a monopoly within a monopoly. But regardless of that, um, how they are hiding their money is of various ways. But they're you know definitely they're using shell companies to do so. Um, there's all this, also this other technique that the wealthy um, and influential people, especially if they don't want to make their fortunes known, besides hiding their shit in shell companies, is um, they uh, have these things called wallets, where basically at the leisure of person trying to hide the money what they'll do especially powerful people and it's a it's a technique that many powerful people do the bushes didn't invent it but basically what they do is they have these wealthy people that they know because these people are in positions of power the bushes and Cheney's. they're power they're power brokers they're very intertwined with the military industrial complex even though you don't see them and they're not in the news or whatever these these families are fucking making moves they got major influence still um they control the tides and they made a fuck ton of money during the pandemic because the largest shareholder in BlackRock is Vanguard and the largest shareholder in Vanguard is BlackRock and they all controlling shares in pretty much all the fucking nation's top five Fortune 500 and S&P 500 companies. And many of those fucking companies made a fuck ton of money during the pandemic. It's crazy how that works, right? Crazy. We, uh, we have these things called wallets. And so let's say Bush has a really close friend and he's already a billionaire. Um... But let's say this guy's worth like $8 billion. What Bush does is he uses a shell company to transfer money to his billionaire friend. And he'll give his billionaire friend like $3 billion. And since he's already a billionaire and the way they hide the money is like a shell game. You ever heard of the shell game where the guy puts like the ball under the three shells and he moves it around or whatever. It's basically how they do it. And then he uses that money and funnels it into one of these people called wallets. There are already wealthy people, right? So it's not weird that they would have billions of dollars. But like, let's say somebody's worth eight billion, he'll funnel like three more billion to them, and now that person's worth like eleven billion. But whenever they're in a pinch or they need money or they get cut off or it's like, and or just in case, or just in case, um, you know they finally get caught for all their fucking crimes or whatever this person is holding this money for them it's how they hide it and so they have various friends and confidants who hold this money for them and they're already billionaires they're already moguls so it doesn't look weird that they have billions or whatever and they just add a couple more billions to that person and they funnel it to them through various means but that's how they keep that money off the books. But since 
These families are closely tied to the military industrial complex and the intelligence agencies. I mean, damn, the Bush's names on the fucking CIA building. Um, these people who are holding this money for them um, would never double cross them. The, they know a lot of dangerous people that can unalive you in the most fantastical ways. Um, so besides shell companies and funneling it into corporations or whatever, right, through various means of the shell game, they also have billionaire friends that they that are called wallets. Um, and they, various ones of them will also hold a couple billion for them, and they would never double-cross them because they, you know, these people, you know, know very scary people, and they're just tied into everything. Um, many other world leaders do it too. The same thing. Lots of people in the G20 gotten caught doing that. Um, Putin even does that same shit, same strategy. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I got like a crash course in all the methods that's most likely being used to, um, hide a lot of this money, which WikiLeaks let us know was basically the function of the 20 year endless war was to be a giant transfer of wealth the same way that the pandemic was a giant transfer of wealth of state funds into mega corpse hands right oh there's an emergency we gotta spend all of our money trillions and trillions and trillions and we just fucking we just printed that bitch um crazy we are really are a planet run by sociopaths they don't give a fuck about us and they engineer financial catastrophes or they see a catastrophe and they magnify it because that's another thing people call things like the pandemic no, no no that's not how it went down they just the people, you know what I'm saying, the people running shit just own everything. And it's a, and it's a big club, but we're not in it, you know. And uh, when there is a situation that comes that was meant to maim us, you know, the elites, they don't give a shit about the nation. They don't care about the American experiment. They see this as, let's overdo this shit and steal a fuck ton of money from the nation's that we all, you know, are lawmakers in. So you notice the whole Western economy, you know what I'm saying? Shut down and everyone was doing bailouts, whatever. A fuck ton of money went into the hands of, you know, all the corporations that were supposed to help us and whatever. Just, it was just another way to bilk money from us. It's crazy. They just, it's, at this point, the way everything is run, because this whole um, experience, especially my last documentary I put together, the way this night, the way this, well, the globe too, but the way this nation is run, it's like there's a few hundred people um, who just own everything. And then there's about a dozen or or so. Oh, um, I want to say like a dozen and a half 
people who just have relationships with the scariest motherfuckers. Those guys are at the top of the food chain. And there's lots of ways for them to hide money. Um, and if it, you know what I'm saying, if you try to take their money from them or you don't, or the people hiding their money for them, whatever, make it so they can't access or whatever. They just know very scary people who can do really bad things to you. But getting back to it, um, yeah, since they own controlling shares and everything, when a situation arises, they just capitalize on it. It's not a giant conspiracy anymore because they've, they own everything. Before, you could argue that there was a conspiracy about and what have you, but now they just own the chessboard and the chess pieces. It's not about moving the chess pieces to get a one-up. It's just, we live in this nation. This wealth gap is so crazy that we basically live in, like I said, it's neo-feudalism. Um, it's an oligarchy. Um, there are no more grand conspiracies. It's They're just taking advantage of every situation when it happens because they own everything. Or they own a controlling interest in everything. You don't need to plan something catastrophic. You just wait for something to come around. And then you're like, how could we absolutely build everything from this? It's so crazy. But yeah, so I was learning about all the ways that they're hiding money. And most likely how they're hiding it. And It's crazy. It's crazy that one of the ladies. One of the... Um, one of the one of the investigators from the Panama Papers. Um, she died in a car bomb. I mean the the Prime Minister of Iceland, he got oh, he got fucking ousted because of it. Like so many crazy things. But there was a lot. There was um, there is it's called the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, the ICIJ basically ran investigated the story and um so yeah i'm gonna take um all the things i know about contel pro and all the shit that happened with me and my experience and i managed to dissect their process of how they brought in this big whale. And I personally think because of how globalism and the transnational elite and this new neo-feudalist state that we live in, you know, investigative journalism is good for corruption, exposing corruption, but here's something that I noticed because I'm not a journalist. I just drink from the zeitgeist in mass and I make news content. That's what I would call it. News content. Um, but something I noticed is the Panama papers got released, but it, it was here and it was gone and no one's talking about it again. No one's talking about it anymore. I mean, half the reason is because I mean, if you pay attention to um, the news and how people behave, Americans are very narcissistic. 
So if there's any kind of news, international news, we just don't care. And the Panama Papers didn't really hit home. Do you understand? Because it was international news. And Americans don't give a shit about international news. We think the United States is the world. And um, there's just all these other people outside of the United States. I guess they live there or something. I don't know. They got lives or something. (laughs) That sounds silly, but coming from somebody who's you know, been making, doing my um, daily news thing, and I've been making these documentaries, and I pay attention to the news cycles, um, and how people, and how stories go through the news cycle, like, it's so sad, but the Pandora, I mean, the Panama Papers didn't, it was here, and it was gone, and it was so huge, it's the, it was the biggest leak ever, Snowden called it the biggest leak ever. And it's just, no one's talking about it. No one references it, really. Even though it's this huge thing. And I think what we need is, like, a Panama Papers for the United States, but for Florida and Texas. Who just, ironically, the two states where the two Bushes <laughs> were governors and have major influence in, outside of, you know, Washington, D.C., are these huge havens. And believe it or not, Texas and Florida, um, because there are these havens to hide money through shell companies and through low regulation that um, lawmakers put in place, you know, people who have major influence in those states, um, allow the most horrendous fucking people to hide their money in the United States of all places, in these shell companies, etc. Um, terrorist organizations, um, rulers who had sanctions put on them, um, they'll hide their shit here, uh, using shell companies, etc. Fucking, like, people who run international sex trafficking rings, um, organized crime like cartels and stuff like because of the law, like the laws, etc., are so lax, and lawyers and know how to set up these shell companies and hide the identities, and it it's just so crazy. Like there are there are dictators, etc., who have money hidden in the United States through shell companies. In Florida and Texas. Just crazy. We need like a Panama Papers for Florida and Texas, man. It's fucking bananas. Anyway, so I have this. I dissected their... Their, you know... I dissected the ICIJ. International Consortium of, In- of Investigative Journalists. ICIJ, I think. Okay, good. Um, I broke down their process... And I think it's important to share because one thing that, um, like the documentaries and whatever broke down, even the TED Talks about the Panama Papers, I, I did so much research, um, was that the story of how it got broke and whatever. But I think what's really important is sharing the process because I think in the future, like I said, because 
I, I talked all around it and I got to a bunch of other subjects. I apologize. But I think in the future, the only way that we take the power back is through these big stories. And if we don't share the strategy for how we pull these investigations off, I don't think we're going to win. I don't think we're going to take our power back. I don't think we'll gain back the American experiment. I don't think we'll gain back America as a republic. Because it's no longer a republic. It's a... It's an oligarchy. It's neo. It's a neo-feudalistic state, whether we believe it or not. And it's getting and it's getting more and more to this dystopia, and we just call it free market, a free market democracy, and a free market democratic republic. But it's anything but. And I think the only way that we're going to take the power back is by proliferating the strategies so if there are teams you know even outside the international consortium of investigative journalists whatever you know uh, journalists are going to be essential in the in the struggle to take our country back you know shining a light on shit but at the same time journalists are going to have to start getting good at keeping people's attention because i will tell you I follow a fuck ton of people, news content creators, etc. And like, bro, the state of journalism as it goes to TikTok, like, fuck. Like, you, you, you basically you have 60 seconds. Now they have the three minute videos, right? You have the three minute videos where you can essentially um, do a story or whatever, but. A lot of nonsense, a lot of disinformation gets spread on that platform. Um, a lot of the news content now is like um, kind of giga chat podcasts. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's just uh, they become vehicles for self promotion, except but they don't. It's not like taking the power back. It's just like. It's a bunch of people being like, we're the good guys, right? They're like, yeah, because we know everyone's corrupt. And, you know what I'm saying? It's just like a bunch of these pseudo-anarchist, libertarian-esque people, especially in independent journalism. I'm talking about independent journalism or independent um, news media. As we're talking about it, there's a couple of people who are actually exposing. But a lot of these... Um, news shows or whatever that people who actually care to be informed and I'm talking about long format um, it's you have to keep people's attention etc and aside from a very few people there's just it's now it's like sensationalism it's vehicles for promotion and then it's just like yeah it's just nothing it's just not formats for change so first and foremost I will say that News content creators need to get more savvy at capturing audiences. And they need to be good studies of what makes 
content and what makes and captures people's attention because I start seeing stories uh, from these, I call them kids, but you know, 20 somethings on TikTok and how they're covering news or whatever. And it's like, it's a joke. It's all, it's all bullet points. It doesn't get into the details of things. And so you have that format, right? Nobody reads news anymore. They just read headlines. Um, so people don't read news. If you, if they do get news on the short end of the format, it's bullet point and it's not well researched and it's sensationalized garbage. And because of the format of content digestion on TikTok, um, it, uh, it doesn't retain in people's minds, um, because of the, of the fast ability for the user just to be like, and eh, not interested. And they go flick and they flick and they flick and they flick and it's another video, another video. So you got that format, then you got long format, which is kind of being done by like podcasts, last new shows now, and now and they're turning into like these vehicles for self promotion, and just you know, regardless, I think I should share these tactics because I watched so many specials i've read so many i've I've read so much about the panama papers etc and there is a formula to how they're getting these kind of particular stories done i think primarily the only way we're going to take the power back essentially is by learning these processes and um pulling these big stories because yeah, it's the only way we're going to take the power back. Is if we expose major corruption and work together. And I just wanted to share these things. I'm sorry it took so long for the lead-in, but I learned so much about the process of how the money is being hidden and washed, etc. Just in our own country from a 20-year war. And uh, I just learned so many things, but... Moving forward, believe it or not, the future of journalism for reeling in big stories that will help the people, the people take the power back, is this kind of formula for how things get done. And I want to share that with you. So this process that can reel in these big stories since... Because we are a neo-feudalist state masquerading as a free market democratic republic. These, I believe, are going to be the tactics necessary to reel this, reel in big stories that are going to expose and shine a light on, you know, those in power. And that's going to help us take the power back, take our country back, restore more, you know, of an original republic, etc. Um, 
Now, one thing that's important, especially when I was going through this program, to know first off the bat is if you are known to be a person who investigates things, investigates the government, um, corruption, corporate corruption, or whatever, because we live in a neo-feudalistic state, a lot of those people are in bed with lawmakers and they look out for each other. And we have a police state which is in bed with corporations and many of the, you know, and already in this police state industrial complex that's been created thanks to the Patriot Act, thanks George Bush, um, a lot of companies contract to do NSA monitoring. And so far, there has been companies caught pulling extortion gigs on corporations. Um, one such um, group or one such corporation here I'm going to bring up is going to be link number one in the podcast description look at link number one you can click on it and see the story i'm talking about so yeah basically there's this company called tyversa and they're a government it contractor they do nsa contracting and um government it monitoring of internet traffic and this contractor got these tools from the fbi and what they did was they used them to break into major company servers and um, then they would call and then they would basically extract the data, right? And these are basically tools that the FBI has created so they can get into any computer. And so they would use these tools to get, then get into major companies' corp, uh, computers, their servers. And um, they would extract a bunch of data. And they would publish it somewhere on the deep web. And um, this corporation would call up these companies and say, hey, we noticed you guys had a data breach. But and, and, um, what happens is by the, the law says that when there's a data breach, you have to report it publicly. And it tanks lots of stocks. And so corporations hate when they get hacked because they have to report it and they have to make it public and it's going to tank their stock because then people lose trust in their company. So what these guys would do because it's a problem that corporations hate. That's why, uh, you know, IT security is so big now because they don't want to lower their stock price and everyone's data is stored. Everyone has their data stored. So what these, this government IT company did is they had the software that get into any server, any computer, right? So it wasn't hacked. It was, you know, back doors that the FBI has built in so they can get into any computers they, they want to. Because that's just how our, that's just the state of things now. There's no such thing as a computer that the government can't get into. It's all created with pre-backdoor software for the feds, the NSA, to get into normal hackers and whatever, they have to learn techniques or whatever, but the NSA and the U.S. government, they just got the fucking keys. 
And so they gave these keys to some government IT contractors called Tyversa. They're a U.S. government contractor. And they um, would use the software to get into these servers, right? Not hacked. They just got in. Because it's a backdoor software that the government has. And since they were a government IT contractor, they had access to it. So they used it to get into major company servers. And then they said, hey, we know she had a data breach. But if you pay a certain amount of money, you know what I'm saying? Um, we'll wipe it from the web and we'll make it like it never happened. So your stock price doesn't go down. And these companies didn't realize it was like a reverse extortion where they didn't know that the company calling them to tell them about the server breach, which they didn't even recognize because the tools they were using was beyond their technical understanding. Didn't even know that these people went in, they stole the data, they posted the data, only they knew where they posted it, but they said, oh, they found it here and they'll make it go away so they don't have to report it to the FC, FE, FCC um, if they paid them. And they did, and that's how they essentially extorted a whole bunch of people. And there's so many other government IT contracting companies um, out there. And there's a lot of shady shit going on. Um... There's criminality everywhere. Some, you know what I'm saying? Like, you have no fucking clue. But, so these guys, it's a big club. And you just have no idea how, how much crossover corruption there's between government, um, government Gestapo-type IT companies, NSA contractors, etc. And um, people in power, etc. So we're going to have to employ these kinds of things because just the system is married to this new oligarchish type world we live in. You can call it a free market. And a free market uh, capitalism and a democratic republic all you want. But, you know, um, we live in a um, an oligarchy all, all over again. So, a lot of these bigger stories, which are going to be needed to take power back, it's going to have to follow this. Anyway, going back to how I was mentioning those um, contractors, etc. These guys, and I've learned this from how I've done my research, etc. for things, is they will put you in this thing called a filter bubble. And especially if they know that you do investigative work and you blow the whistle on government shit, whatever, now you're officially on their radar. You're just never going to get off their radar, especially if you're an investigative journalist and you publish anything of merit. Anything. They just got our phone number now. They, and if you work for a major news publication or news or journalist, if there's a war journalist. They using the same kind of tools that like Tyversa had access to can just get into your servers. They can, you know what I'm saying? Um, essentially they could put a whole newsroom in a filter bubble and keep information secret from you. Maybe that's publicly available everywhere else. Cause that's how corporate, how corruption is hiding now. It's in plain sight. Now it's just, 
since information is everywhere, it's like drinking from a fire hose. You just have to know where to pan for gold. And if you don't know where to pan for gold, you can just hide the shit anywhere in plain sight. And that allows the government, if we do catch them, they go, well, hey, we already made this public. We weren't trying to hide anything. We did nothing wrong under the law. But if you have a lead on, hey, look into this, da 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 um, over here. Well, what they can do is, and I've known, found this out personally, is they can put you in a filter bubble and they can filter bubble your whole newsroom. So if you're doing investigative journalism from, let's say, the LA Times or all the internet getting pumped in there, etc. Absolutely, what they'll do is they'll put it in a filter bubble and then they'll filter out certain things so you never see them or get access to them. This has happened to me personally. And it will happen to other independent media outlets, smaller guys, etc. Because, you know, even though our intelligence network agencies that we found out, especially during the church committee hearings, basically run mainstream media. Um, especially the up and coming newspapers and independent you know, news consortiums or whatever. Those guys coming up, um, they're going to filter bubble all the employees of that company, all the, you know, their home internet, their office internet, etc. And what the filter bubble allows you them to do is to keep information out of your purview. It will never come up in search results, etc. You'll have to know exactly where to find it. You'll have to know the website to go to and the whatever. Otherwise, you're going to be relying on search engines to bring this shit up, especially if you're doing research. And what they're going to do is filter bubble you. This has personally happened to me. I've caught them doing this. They'll filter bubble you and keep you from ever seeing things to further your research or what have you. So if they know, oh, he's looking into, you know, this defense contract or whatever, right? Then they can filter bubble everything, all the information that has to deal with anybody involved, um, um, accompanying companies, um, adjacent companies, whatever, anything with that special project. They'll keep science, like if there was, you know, if you're looking into a particular kind of chemical that was whatever, they'll they'll um, filter bubble out your research for certain things um certain jstor articles won't come up jstor is a academic article um uh, depository they'll they'll mask those from you in search and so you might never get some key research and all they have to do is just know that you look into shit um and they can do this instantaneously and it can be all from them to the guise of, you know, to protect national security. Um, and that is such a loose term. I mean, shit. So first and foremost, you have to understand that they will do that. And so it's important that you learn how to use the dark web. You learn how to use a Tor browser. You learn how to um, use... Um, different means of, you know, 
being able to get access to data because you know your normal work computers your normal house computer where you do your research whatever especially if you like i said if you're on their radar or you're in an upcoming newsroom and there are no no you know mockingbird media people working there or whatever so they don't feel like they have the lid on it they're going to do that to you they're going to keep you from certain information it won't even come up in search and that's going to be critical for you to break stories or to um develop content out further etc so first and foremost understand that will absolutely happen so and the way you know our internet works like there are backdoors in everything there's no such thing as a version of windows that doesn't have some sort of government backdoor in they don't even need to hack it hack it what they do is they leave um like holes in the code or what have you and then you know when then like microsoft or apple will tell them hey we left a hole in this part of the code or whatever now you guys build like a client that'll exploit that and then get into any system you want that's basically how it works it's in your android phone it's in your apple phone it's in your windows machine it's in your apple computer it just is that's how it works now um so they don't need to like hack your shit. There's just a, a door in and they have, they just have very point and click clients where they can get access to your shit. So, I mean, if your files are not air gapped, your important files, um, you're kind of fucked. And even then there's so many ways to break an air gap. I mean, I personally have been following a um, I, I follow like CSO online and lots of other IT security publications and air gaps are, there are so many ways that they're learning to exploit air gaps. It's crazy. Anyways, I have to understand that if your computer sucked up the internet at all, the government can just see your files. They just can. It's just built into the operating systems now. A hacker will have to breach, but the government doesn't have to anymore. They get told where the holes in the code are, and they build clients to exploit the holes to get into your system undetected. Just like Tyversa did with the FBI software, because those companies didn't even, weren't even aware they were hacked, because the software exploits a hole that they organized with Microsoft, that they organized with Cisco systems, that they organized with Sun Microsystems, or wherever your server is. They because that's how the come that's how the uh, world works now. We're learning that with Twitter files, etc. Like if there's something big enough, has enough influence, or if everyone uses it and it gives them access to everyone's shit, they're gonna put people in it to exploit it. A platform, an operating system, whatever. So that's also something you should understand. Um. They can hide information you know, from your IP address, etc. But this filter bubble will be used to isolate you and you won't even realize it. So keep that in mind. Now, how they brought the story for the Panama Papers to life is this new form of journalism that they had to create this whole format of tackling this story. 
that allowed them to to reel in such a big story. And like I said, I really feel like because we are this country that is basically, you know, under the guise, uh, you know, of big data and um, big tech and a police state and the wealth gap, we are in this neo-feudalistic state and normal citizens, we're just not even aware of it. Anyway, so all the stories that are going to restore the American experiment to a republic are going to require something opposite of what people know as journalism these days. Many journalists, like they're lone wolves, believe it or not, lots of journalists are like lone wolves. They want to they want the glory of bringing in like a big story, right? They want the scoop or whatever. Um, but unfortunately, the next big stories that will take down people will have to be, will have to have collaboration. It's just, it's going to, it's too big of a problem that, and we, and it's gone unnoticed and this whole project for a new American century, um, bullshit really popped off and it went off without a hitch and now we're in this neo-feudalistic state. If you don't know what I'm talking about, watch my documentary 2030 Vision Corporate Coup. There's a link on our Twitter profiles. You can watch it on our website, which is at meshnews, M-E-S-H N-E-W-S dot org. It's right at the top. I don't know why the thumbnail is not working. Just click it. The picture's missing, and I've I've fixed the code a million times, and it's not showing up. Fuck! I don't know what the fuck's happening. But it's right there on on the on, the, uh, on our website. Um, or you can go to our Twitter profile and click. There's a link that goes directly to the um, Odyssey video. It's on Odyssey, which is that blockchain open source free speech video sharing platform. So if you don't want to go to my website, um, you can get the link off of the Odyssey link on our Twitter page, on our, on our Twitter profile. You can find us at Mesh Newsroom, where, which is our content Twitter profile, and our comment Twitter profile is um, Mesh News Descent. Uh, Mesh News Descent. Anyways, and you can get the link on there. But basically, we live in this new time where all the big stories are going to require all of us, people in journalism, independent media, etc., who all we want to do is we want to get the next big scoop. We want to take it from each other. We want to scoop each other because we want to be known as the guy who reeled in the fish. It is so fucked up right now. We will not be able to do that anymore. And believe it or not, the International Consortium of Journalists developed this new process called radical sharing. And it's the complete opposite of what we know as journalism. Because journalism is like a very lone wolf thing. I want to be the podcaster that brings this in. I want to be the newsmaker who does this. I want to be the news show that talks about this, right? 
that's not how we're going to get our shit back. And it's going to be, a, we have to have a new way of thinking about journalism. And it's this new format of journalism called radical sharing. So I'm going to go over it and understand that the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists developed this, and specifically they developed this process for the Panama Papers. And they don't have it broken down, but I just drank from the fire hose all day today about it. And so now I have a general format and I'm going to share that with you because I've, I think the, I think, you know, America should be restored as a Republic and we need to take our fucking power back, but we can't do that. We can't shine a light on things. If we don't know how to do that, and if we don't organize, but don't worry about the glory, we worry about the mission. And it's basically kind of like a decentralized way of journalism, too. So that's kind of cool, right? I'm all about decentralization, so let's go over this. So yeah, it's like decentralized journalism, or no-ego slash low-ego journalism, essentially. Um... And basically, you get a story, and you find out all the different parts of a story. You're like, okay, we have this information. It has this guy here. He works in fucking, you know, the military-industrial complex. And he's working with this leader in Nigeria. I'm just using this as an example. And he's working with this guy in South Africa, right? That guy in South Africa also owns a bevy of countries, a uh, bevy of companies in, you know, the United States, where he works in government IT, even though he's a South African. He's friends with these prominent politicians and these people in investigate, you know, in, in intelligence and what have you, right? So what, what instead of trying to research all those things and have to do the learning curve, etc., what you're going to do is you divvy up, you get locked into a network of journalists and you find people that you can trust. You get like a, and believe me, I, I everyone who has a sub stack or what have you um, needs to start building up a network of journalists that they can trust and every asset and every form of different sectors of journalism, defense journalism, um, financial journalism, etc., investigative journalism, what have you. You start building your network. And these people need to be not connected under the same umbrella corporation because that makes it easier for you to be surveilled. So if you spread it out, you become a harder target, right? <clears throat> so you break the story down. You get one guy who you find a defense journalism. He's going to go, he's going to do everything he needs to do, all his connections, whatever, and he's going to work on the part of the story where there's the guy in defense journalism and then you're going to contact a guy in South Africa and learn all about the guy in South Africa and have that journalist doing that part of the story. And then you're going to, you know, um, get a journalist who's into corporate law, etc. And he's going to fucking research all the things of the corporations that the, that the guy from South Africa has here in the United States, the corporations. And then you're going to get a journalist that pays attention to the intelligence community and he's going to research the connections there and then you guys all do your research 
um, and you progress with your part of the story. Okay, cool. So now we understand radical you know, how radical sharing needs to work. Now it needs to be the story needs to be broken up into little pieces because what happens is if it's one person and he's working on a huge data dump of information, it all takes us one hack. You understand? All it takes us one security breach. All it takes us one person to break into an office, whatever. And the story's over. But if you all are sharing the same story, but you're all working in different departments and you guys are all different independent journalists, not under the same organization, right? Because if you're all working in the same building, it's going to make it even easier to surveil you. So I'm going to, so you, that's the gist of it. It is low ego journalism. It's you, everyone puts their name on the paper at the end, but it's all about the mission. It's all about the story. Okay. So let's go into details on how we're going to accomplish that. Now you get like the kind of the gist of it. First and foremost is after you get your team together and they're all going to work on different parts of it, right? Um, and make sure it's a network of people that you trust. And you can tell you can trust people that they're going to deliver on the story by their past work. You know what I'm saying? You just network with people. You get to know them. You have lunch with them. You have to you know like people stuff. Things that people forgot how to do. Um, but anyways, you build your network. Um, then you get your group of journalists together. And then you figure out what day you're going to publish. And this is important because most journalists, they work with publications. They moonlight, like some people work with Miami Herald. Then they have their Substack, And then they might publish for, you know, MSNBC as a guest writer or whatever, right? And they have these different outlets that they get work and work on things. Journalists, you know what I'm saying, will usually have a couple of those people that they write for, etc. But each one of those journalists doing different parts of the story gets all their outlets lined up. But they also understand the news cycle, etc. and what's going on in each one of those countries or whatever. When they're... Um, so when they publish a story, they understand, oh, well, you don't want to do this around, you know, Kwanzaa in South Africa because everyone's going to be blah, blah, blah. And that's on, you know, this date. Oh, well, you know, um, before the new congressional budget for the Pentagon gets approved, there's a whole lot of noise, you know, in the defense industry so you don't want to publish on this date whatever so you guys all find out what would be the best date to publish based on all the constraints of the different parts of the story because you want to make sure that you're the only megaphone blasting okay and then um when it comes time to publish a story you guys all publish the story in your respective outlets you publish the same story though so there's the journalist who, you know, he's got a substack, but he also does work for the Miami Herald and he does some whatever with MSNBC. Um, all the publications that he has access to or whatever, he publishes on all those all the same time on the same day, the same story. But you guys, after you're done 
investing in the story, you put all your pieces together and you put the whole story together and you all publish. You, and you link out to different writers, etc., who all contributed to that and the publishing on their fucking, on their network. And they're, and you know what I'm saying? Each person might have uh, parts of the story that are more specialized, etc., from their perspectives, their perspective um, outlets. But it's important that you guys, since you're all publishing the same story, right? You all do it on the same day. All the journalists involved in your story and the big stories that are going to be necessary to publish in the future to gain our country back, essentially. Um, while you're researching, while you're writing, etc., it's important that you do not talk about your story the whole time you are researching. You know, up until your publish date, which you all agree on. And the reason why you want to all publish together in your different outlets, etc., is because it's not isolated. It's like Bitcoin. It's decentralized. So everyone publishes on their own perspective platforms. You know, there's the guy who does his Substack, but he also does the Miami Herald. And then there's this other guy who does work with this independent place over here, like Defense One. That's a defense paper or whatever, right? But the story covers all those different aspects. But you spread out the investigation through those different outlets so you can't put them all under one umbrella. They're harder to surveil. Each person has their own inside perspective so you can research the story faster. And then when you publish, it's getting published in Defense One. It's getting published in Miami Herald. It's getting published in a person's subject, etc. all on the same day. So it's, it's impossible to... Um, curb the story or to suppress the story with an outlet, which some people, which some government agencies will try to do, you know, saying pressure people or they have their people who, um, you know, because Mockingbird media is everywhere. So what happens is you make it a hard target. It's popping up everywhere and all those news sites all at once on the same day. That's why it's important to agree on the same day. And that's why it's important to publish the same day all the people involved, but you publish on your own perspective outlets. You see how it's low ego journalism, but it's decentralized. The government can't fight decentralization. It can fight traditional media. It can, you know what I'm saying? It can fight um, putting uh, a newsroom, one company in a filter bubble, whatever, and putting special attention on them, whatever. But if you're scattered all about, and you all publish in all the different publications, the same story, it's hard to attack. Do you understand? Okay, now I got the gist of it. Okay. So, but yeah, it's called Radical Sharing. The, invest, the International Center for Investigative Journalism developed this system. And, um, but yeah, while you're doing that, while you're researching the story, do not talk to anybody about it. Not even your fucking wife or your husband or your partner or, you know, if you're polyamorous, your bevy of partners, whatever you want to, you want to say, you just cannot talk to anybody about it at all. That's one important aspect of the radical sharing um, you just cannot talk about the story to anyone unless they are also investigating the story. Got it? Okay, got it. Um, 
you're going to have to get something called an encrypted newsroom, which is basically an encrypted project management software. And it's important that it's encrypted and not just some fucking off-the-shelf shit. Some free software you can all download and all use for free. Like, bro, just... You know what I'm saying? There are things people talk about Evernote and whatever, like... You need to learn some new names like GitLab. GitLab is a high security um, project manager software where you guys can all collaborate on a project and it's encrypted and it can't be stolen and it can't be broken into or it's very hard to get broken into. There's another. So think about these for for an encrypted newsroom. These software, some of these softwares, um, GitLab is one it's open source GitLab, what it's based off of so that means there's always people making updates to things that are broken so that's good there's another one called fobexa f-o-b-e-x-a fobexa there's one called open project open source of course there's another one called WeMe. that's w-i-m-i and there's another one called rike that's w-r-i-k-e those are encrypted project management software. You can share files, chat about things, search each other's files, etc. So you guys can all share in the pool of information. But um, make sure it's encrypted. And there's Those are some softwares that I recommend you look into um, to accomplish this task. Uh, Yeah, and allow the team to search across all their documents, though. But the encrypted newsroom is going to be imperative so you guys can collab while staying safe and keeping your files encrypted. Another important thing is when you work, work inside of a locked room. Because you don't want people to come to come into the workspace if you fall asleep. Well, at your computer or what have you, don't want to worry about someone coming in there while you are working and, you know, gaining access to your computers or what have you. So you want to work in a locked room. Um, Think of localized ways to heat and cool yourself in your locked workspace. Because... Air ducts, and I've learned this personally. This is like I said, like I said, I'm going to sprinkle in some of my understanding. Um, air ducts can be compromised with like things like sleeping gas to gain entry. I've had sleeping gas used on me many times when I was going through this shit because, um, you know, I knew that info, and they didn't want me to keep anything private, and I was constantly getting people just. And they didn't care. They wanted me to know that they broke in while they made me pass out. So I'd wake up and there would just be fucking... It would like... I don't know if you've ever um, seen someone's house get flipped by the cops when they're looking for something. But that's essentially what I woke up to. Just drawers thrown out and like fucking papers scattered everywhere. They just fucking turned my whole room upside down. But because they used that sleeping gas shit on me, I didn't even realize they were even... In my fucking crib. I just woke up to this mess. This happened quite a few times. So. AC ducts can be compromised. To bring that shit in. So. 
keep that in mind. Keep in mind that, you know, they can pump that shit underneath the door jam. So there's those things that you can use that, like, old people use to keep the drafts out. You know, put that underneath your door. Um, you want to you know, think about these kinds of things. Um, you want to cover your windows. Because cameras can use micro vibrations of objects. Intelligence agencies have access to this. This is old shit. Um, if you just don't work in that space, you don't know about it. But um, there's a system where they use HD cameras, 4K cameras, to look through the windows of the building you're in. So they can do it from a distance so you don't even know they're there. And they can use micro vibration of the objects in the room. So like a leaf of like a, a indoor plant or a chip bag or something to reverse engineer the sound from of of the room. So understand that they can do that. So it's important to cover your window. It's also make sure it's important to cover your window to make sure they can't see your computer screen. That's another reason why it's important to cover your window. Um, if you're talking about the story in your locked office that has windows, like let's say you get a locked working space, but you can't get, get away from has the fact that it has windows. There are these um, speakers that you can stick onto the windows. They're like um, Bluetooth speakers, but they also have an aux cable jack in. And you can also stick them on walls, right? And they can turn flat surfaces into speakers. I know you guys have seen those before. And um, you can find them online on Amazon. But you can like, it has like a suction cup thingy on it, but you can stick it on the wall. You can stick it on windows. And it turns the hard flat surface into a giant speaker. And uh, where this comes in is there are these things called laser microphones and they can point them at the windows of your house. So if you're having a conversation, it can read the vibration off the surface of the window and essentially hear everything that you're saying without um, having to be there. So if you have that suction cup microphone on the window and it's playing a, it's called audio, an audio confusion track. So like, you know, like a bar scene audio scape. You can get these off of YouTube. I'm going to leave a link. It's going to be link number two. Actually, no, not link number two. Link number two in the description of the podcast is going to be this speaker. Hold on. Okay, 
So number two is going to be a link to one of those speakers that turns any flat surface into a speaker. And that's so it will repel uh, the use of a laser microphone on your window. If you are talking on the, you know, on a hopefully a wired telephone um, about the story or what have you. Or you're talking to somebody else in the room about the story. You can put one of those things. I would not keep the thing in the room. But pull it out of a shelf that it's in another room or whatever. And then um, number three is like one of the types of audio files. It has a lot of people talking and chattering. It's like a soundscape. And that could minimize that. And that's just a suggestion. It's not like protocol. Um, but if you're talking about a story, a big story or whatever, that can, you know, bring down bad people. You have to understand they have deep pockets and they will pay someone full time. Someone who will be paying their mortgage just watching you and stalking you and keeping tabs on you. And they use all sorts of things to make sure they know what's going on. That's one way you can deter them from um, doing that. Another way you can do it is to just get like an AM radio and then put it right by the window. Like right by the glass. And uh, play like the radio, like talk radio or whatever. Because if it's people talking, right, it'll be hard if they're trying to isolate the audio and the track to what you're talking about. So, you know, if there is a glass surface um, in your office and the lock workspace you're in, then um, you could just do that and keep it by the, the window glass and, um, you know, talk low. But, um, you know, I, you know, make it so it'd be hard for them to pick out what's going on. Another way you can do it, I've heard, now this is a suggestion, is a hairdryer. Running a hairdryer, putting that by, like, the window or whatever while you're speaking, it will dampen or make it very hard to pick up any audio off of a vibrating window with a laser microphone. Um, there are the... Now, for microphones that might be bugged in your room, there are these devices. They're called ultrasonic noise jammers, and they don't eliminate shit. What they do is they make it hard to hear, but they can use audio recording software to pull the um, the audio and, and, and the decibels up, and they can increase the pitch and everything still here but they'd have to record it and then enhance it a little bit to hear it clearly but there are ultrasonic microphone jammers and they're just I mean and there are people who it's like snake oil they try to sell people on these things for thousands of dollars and they don't do what you would think that they do um, ultrasonic noise jammers for in-room microphones dampen the microphone listening um, it's not a fix for a traditional bug sweeping which I recommend that you do on like a weekly basis if you are you know deep into the um, investigative part of it um, don't do work on wireless so no Bluetooth no Wi-Fi no cell phone network getting data in for research, 
no printers on any work network because believe it or not many printers are your biggest security vulnerability there are so many ways to hack a printer there are people who have hacked a printer using an am radio signal to send it instructions and because there was some sort of hardware and i remember one of these printers they found out how to hack it using an am radio printers are the most vulnerable thing in a network do not keep any printers in there in your workspace either even if they're hooked up through wires they're just so vulnerable um and you should only use internet hooked up to an ethernet cable that's going through an encrypted network um your server let's say you're going to have a copy of the files you're all working on right and you've made a copy of these hard drives you're going to want to encrypt those fucking hard drives first and foremost and you're going to want to make them hot swappable so if you are working on this stuff you want to work from a tower that will allow you to hot swap your files if you have native files if you're not going to not going to share files over a um encrypted project management let's say you are working on the files and you have a copy of the files put them on a hot swappable hard drive something you can pull in and take out of the computer tower and then when you're not using these hard drives they go into a safe which is why it's important to use hot swappable hard drives um if you have a small working network or this maybe you're working with a, a team that's working on a story you are going to want to and you want to all plug into that server that has those copy of the files that you're working on you know if you're if you're one of the small one of the many teams maybe working on a big story it's important that you create a server network that uses two fa keys they're like these little usb keys that um allow you to two-factor authenticate your network so it's not just a password you have this 2fa key that generates a unique um string of characters and pairs it up with the system to verify that it's you and there are, are varying levels of security for 2fa keys there are ones that use biometrics etc on top of the 2fa key but i recommend that at a bare minimum it's always good to have two-factor authentication um, just so people can't use brute force password things or um, you know to get into your network now when you have to send documents over the internet to other people um, you know I know that there are ways to send things through your PGP key we went over that how to send encrypted files and talk to people and stuff like that. We talked about PGP, right? But if you still have to send those files, even though you're sending them over encrypted network and you've listened to my PGP podcast, um, make the documents for the PDFs unsearchable. And it's a process of doing so. And what it does is going to make the people, if someone does intercept your file, you are sending files to maybe another person who's going to work on this 
it's important to make the podcast podcast i'm sorry make the pdf unsearchable and that's going to be link number four in the podcast description and it's going to show you how to create a non-searchable searchable pdf file now um i was looking at some forums about ways where you could write your story you're going to write it and not make a video or what have you. I say any modern journalism now. Probably want to try to see if you can't make a video. And your article at the same time. Even if it's you being a journalist. Standing in front of the microphone. Um, or standing in front of a camera. I definitely recommend that. Um, just people are different learners now. Not everyone reads, not everyone reads it. Most people just read a headline. That's just my personal. If you can't make, if you're not well-versed in making content, at least I know lots of stories are now written in conversational format. I would say read your story to the camera if you could and do it in a secure way where you're not giving away your shit before you publish too. That's another thing. Um, but yeah, obviously publish your written story first. And then I, then I would add the video. But anyways, there's a device called a Remarkable 2. It's basically like an e-ink laptop um, tablet. And what you can do is it has a very simple, small board, like computer board. And you can remove the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth radios from the board. Um, just like Edward Snowden did on um, Vice when he did when Vice went to go see Snowden in Russia, and he was talking about how he removes the uh, Bluetooth radios and the Wi-Fi radio from his cell phone motherboard. Um, I recommend doing that. Getting one of those remarkable twos. You can plug in a USB keyboard. Now be careful with that. USB can be compromised. There's lots of ways that you can compromise it, but you can get a remarkable. Remove all the radios, the Wi-Fi radio, the Bluetooth radio um, from the Remarkables motherboard. And then you're able to write essentially on an air-gapped computer that doesn't have vulnerabilities to be hacked remotely or what have you. And you can write on this like remarkable thing. Now that's not a requirement or whatever. I just noticed this being recommended in um, kind of an, a space where independent journalists talk, and they are trying to talk. They are talking about um, secure devices. Somebody mentioned the remarkable, where you can and you can plug in a keyboard, and it works off of Linux. It's not even Android or um, Apple. It's Linux. It works off of Linux. Um, to do this e-ink display. It's essentially kind of like a laptop. And you can, I guess, write like a preliminary draft or, or write and format your story on that. And then once it's done, transfer over the file via like a USB-C stick. And then, so you're not writing on that computer, which could be compromised in a myriad of ways. So you're not writing on your, like your Windows computer if you're looking for something to write and be safe. That's the suggestion. Now... 
when you're traveling to and from this workspace where you can be working on these on this story or you're part of the story, you know, this uh, radical sharing format of journalism. Um, when you commute to work, vary how you get to work every day. Um, this is so someone doesn't try to steal your laptop or try to hack you from close proximity or hack your phone which can hack your microphone, and then they would allow them to listen in on any conversations you might have in your workspace, maybe hack the computers in that area, because um, there's something called bluejacking. There's so many ways you can hack phones, etc., on your way to commute. Um, also, for safety, if you're, war if you're investigating somebody for something dangerous, right, where you're publishing a big story that will essentially expose a corrupt government, then you're going to have a lot of people on their payroll that are going to do bad things to you. Or could do bad things for you. So variate when you are working on the story. Variate how you commute and factor that into your day. Um, so if you, one day you drive by car, the next day you drive by car up until a certain point, and then you park in a very public parking lot, and then you um, walk the rest of the way. And then the next day, you maybe take the bus, and then you walk. And then the next day, maybe you um, take your car a certain area, and then you stop and get out and, you know, pull a bike out and then bike the rest of the way. Um, and take different routes to and from your work and home at the same time. And that just is going to allow you to keep yourself protected in case there are some people who don't want you researching what you're researching and they got like a tip about what's going on. Um, also, bring your own food when you go. Um, actually, no, back up. Also, another thing about traveling and commuting is you might want to take out some certain... Because, um, you know, if you are working on a big story... Something can happen to you. And just like with those Panama paper journalists. Um, one of those ladies died from a fucking car bomb. I've gone over. Yeah. I've gone over the ways that people. That um, some of these. Um, um, contractors here in San Diego. Military contractors. Are using raspberry pies hooked. And loaded with uh, that image recognition software, YOLO. And yeah, they could set up like a car bomb before you get in your car and it reads your face and some sort of pinhole camera they put in like your dash or in your vent, dash vents or maybe even behind your mirror because those are one-way mirrors, believe it or not. Well, at least the, the some of these new mirrors. But um, it could read your face and the remote detonate something or they could slap a bomb the bomb right and they can blow it up which is how they think that happened but there are also other ways people can sabotage your car set off an explosion this sounds all silly but if you're working on a big enough story you don't know so just some tips take out the fuse in your car's fuse box that controls there's a pressure pressure sensor and the in everybody's car lets the car know someone's sitting in the seat and that seat needs to have the seat belt locked when it's driving 
take that sensor for uh, take that fuse out of your car if hopefully your car has that kind of drill down some cars do some cars don't for that seat sensor but find a find a way if you can if there's a fuse tied to that to remove that fuse the car will still run it'll still operate it's just for the seatbelt annoying alarm to remind you to fucking plug in your seatbelt. Um, also, the uh, speaking of seatbelt, the seatbelt um, alarm the, that lets you know you need to plug in your seatbelt. Take that fuse out. Your car will still work, etc. Your your airbag will still work. Everything. Take out those two fuses in particular because it lets the it it, it create it closes a circuit when a certain thing happens, and closing a circuit is usually how a re remote bomb could be set off for um, a car bomb, and it's a common way that gets set up. Um, like I said, they could just slap some shit to the bottom of it and, and do a remote detonate, just follow you and do remote detonate. That's a possibility too. But those are just some tips on, on that part with the traveling and commuting. Um, also, don't eat around your work where you're doing work, etc. Bring your own food, make your own lunch. As somebody who's been poisoned, I don't know how many times. As somebody who's been slipped drugs, I don't know how many times. As somebody who's been slipped all sorts of things. As somebody who's been, had sleeping gas used on them a fucking bunch of times. Going through this nonsense. I will advise you to do not eat food or drink around your workspace. Especially if you work. A newspaper or an independent group or you're maybe an independent journalist and you have like a shared workspace you know like um but there was you know that's like a popular thing where they get a shared like a workspace or like an office suite um especially if you're on anybody's radar you know if you're reeling in a big fish or something because in most cities, organized crime occupies um, most uh, or occupies a substantial part of the essential worker jobs. One, because it extends their network, right? So if something needs to happen or something, you can have people working in the grocery store or you have people working at the auto shop and that gives you an opportunity to if a you got a particular person who you're getting paid to watch or whatever or getting paid to plant shit in his car you know what you can do is you know make it so when they come in for the oil chain you have the opportunity to do that and that's kind of an essential worker job um they you know the same thing at restaurants and grocery stores and convenience stores and you know, smoke shops, etc. A lot of those, like, what you consider menial jobs, what we're learning is now called essential worker jobs, like during the pandemic. Um, 
It gives it, it gives them access to the infrastructure of things people need. And that's what organized crime is good for, aside from hustles, right? Running guns or girls or drugs or guns or whatever. Stolen goods. Um, fake meds. Whatever. Is also the fact of their proliferation within a metropolis area. And it allows them then to provide a service for people who are willing to pay if there's somebody on their shit list. If you're, if you're on somebody's shit list, you know, and then it'll expose someone's corruption or whatever. And let's say that guy is some multimillionaire. He might even be a billionaire. Well, then, um, you know, 50, 60, 70 grand, you know, paying um, organized crime to keep tabs on you to maybe lace your food with shit so you have a hard time concentrating. Lace your food with shit so you'll pass out and then they can break into the office when you're passed out. Um, or even poison you to kill you. Um, can be achieved with essential worker jobs in the various services, restaurants, stores that you access around your working environment. So if you can... Do not eat or drink things or buy things to eat or drink around your workspace. Because if you are on anybody's radar, what they will do is then contact organized crime and make sure that they have a means to um, assault you, drug you, even kill you, poison you, or or sedate you uh, with these things. And since... You know, when things, when you consume something, it takes about 15 to 20 minutes for it to hit your system. You can go run down to the corner store and then come back and be just starting your snack. And you sit down at your computer to keep doing your research or whatever. And you pass the fuck out or whatever. Do you know what I'm saying? So make your food at home. Taste your food at home. Make sure it's safe first, right? So eat some of it. Like I would say. You know, start, you know, if you're going to eat a sandwich for lunch, you eat half of that and you make that sandwich and you eat half of that shit at home for breakfast. Right. And that'll let you know, OK, this is not going to be poisoned or sedated. Now I can eat the other half of this later for lunch. I'm going to bring this with me. And um, one of the ways I learned to. Because there was a long time when I kept getting sedated a fuck ton of times. Um, what you do is you take small, smaller bites of your food. This is how you test it, even you know, especially if you don't have anybody to test your food. Take a small bite of your food and then you wait, literally wait 20 minutes to see how you feel. All you drink is water. You don't drink anything, whatever. And then you can test if the thing that you're eating is safe and didn't make you feel weird or whatever. That's usually the best system is you eat a small bite of it or one bite of it and you wait 20 minutes and you're like, oh, okay, I feel fine or I feel safe or whatever. Okay, now you can test your drink. Have some of your drink and then sit and wait and how you feel. Believe it or not, that's the best way um, if you are sus suspect or something. But I say... Make your shit in the morning. Make, you know, make two of them or make a large one and cut it in half. 
and then you eat and and or drink that shit when you get um, to work since you know that's going to be safe and when you are traversing back and forth to your office or whatever remember that office door always stays locked I personally would keep your belongings with you in like a backpack or you know how they have those briefcase slash laptop bags and they have the um, they have the sling where you can kind of it's like a messenger bag almost keep your food with you in there etc because if you're not around your food or whatever somebody gains access to your shit you can get poisoned you can pass out um like i said sometimes they just want to slow you down on your progress of shit if they know you're investigating them or whatever they did this to me when i was putting together my films um so they'll sedate your food they will put things like um a mercury solution in like the sauce of something or in your drink or they'll give you lithium um that's happened to me a lot and what it does is just slows you down and slows down your cognition and just slows your work and you know something that uh something you can get done to work day if you keep getting your food laced with shit will take a week (laughs) just fucking trust me man so don't eat around where you're working. If you go into town or whatever, and especially if you suspect people are following you, right? Don't eat around where you work. All those um, restaurants or essential worker places, stores, convenience stores. Um, you know what I'm saying? Especially if some gangsters were put on babysitting duty. Um, they'll go find out all the shops you go to, whatever, they'll intimidate those people, they'll say, oh, what does he buy whenever he comes here? Oh, he gets a, a Yoo-Hoo, and, um, he picks up a bag of Fritos. So then they're gonna make sure that they're gonna have eyes on you when you leave the area, right? When you leave the, the office. Okay, he's leaving. And they'll have people waiting, waiting, okay, well, okay. So, it, you know, He's coming to the convenience store. That guy who asked the you know, intimidated the convenience store worker will work on an arrangement where he won't beat his ass as long as they get to swap out the yoo-hoos every time you make your way towards that store for your lunch break or whatever. And then once you're gone, then they swap out the shit and that guy leaves and uh, you know the store owner doesn't get his head smashed in. That's kind of how they did it with me with me or they just tell him some fantastical shit and um so just be careful about that shit um a lot of people get fucked up um if they don't know about these certain things or these protocols when you're investigating this stuff um another thing is with sedatives what it allows them to do is you know they'll wait 20-30 minutes um, especially if they know you're like in a room or in a door, every door has its compromise unless you have some sort of lock system from the inside. And so if you don't have a special door where there's like a impenetrable latch or a extra security latch or a series of latches or whatever on the inside, um, they could wait on the other side of the door to eat your food and then gain access and then you're passed out in front of your computer which you've already used your two-factor authentication key 
you're already in and now they get to copy your documents like you just have no idea there's so many ways to get fucked up um another way that they can gain access to your research is um so like let's say you're you know one of the guys researching that big story you're the guy in south africa right um what they will do is they'll have somebody you know um throw a, a rock through your your window uh, and you'll come to the front of the office and you'll leave the front and you'll leave the back part of the office where you were you were at and you'll go to the front to see like oh man someone broke my window and then they'll go to that back office where you're at and they'll have a person basically like distracting you they'll come up to the front of the workspace I'll be, oh my gosh man I'm so sorry my my son, he was throwing the ball, and da da da. Well, let me get your information. And they'll take up your time. And while they're taking up your time, there's somebody who came in through like a back door of the office, or maybe somebody who crept in behind you and is hiding in your office space or whatever. And they'll go and try to copy all your files. Or they'll try to stick like a poisoned USB in there or something. You have no idea. They'll use that. This happened to me a whole, a, a whole bunch of times. Someone distracts me to taking me from one part part of my house to another so somebody else can break in through the window and steal my files. Um, it's just having a lot. So just so whenever you leave that office or that room or whatever it stays locked, I would put camera system on your shit. There's just so many ways you can get fucked. But essentially, um those are some tips how to stay safe, how to structure your You know, a big story is to break it up into segments, use people who are specialized, because not only does more people make more targets for, especially if you're breaking a big story about government corruption or what have you, it breaks up the targets and it makes you a harder target to focus on, to suppress the story, to steal the research, etc. right? Use the encrypted um, project manager software. Use two-factor authentication keys. Um, make sure you cover your windows. Um, make sure, you know, if you want some added security, maybe um, use one of those um, uh, flat surface speakers that I have a link to. Um, yeah, there's just so much we went over. But yeah, you know what I'm saying? This is what's going to be required to know these kind of protocols. To understand that, um, to understand that, um, what do you call it? Um, this is, you know, how we're going to break big stories in the future, especially ones with large chains of corruption, um, is it's, it's going to be a collaborative journalist space and journalists got to work together and it's not going to be about the scoop it's going to be about what it does for people and the Panama Papers really set the precedent um, it's really changing some ideas on how journalism for big stories that expose high level corruption work they are things that I wish I would have known before going into this situation where I got that leak. I didn't know the first thing to fucking 
even do, man. I didn't know anything about journalism or nothing. I just was like, oh, fuck. This is legit. It's destroying my life. I gotta let people know. It invited all these scary people to my town. It was just a nightmare. Um, next time, you know what I'm saying? If I had another time and had another way, had another shot at doing it, you know, I would definitely implore many of these tactics. But, you know, the radical sharing with encrypted newsrooms and learning some simple security protocols to keep you safe, your health safe, um, to keep your security and to keep your privacy while also kind of splitting up the story into a decentralized manner. So it makes it harder to be surveilled and intimidated and suppressed and then making sure you publish all on the same day in multiple publications will allow you to circumvent lots of the things that happens to journalists when they have a lone wolf mindset is they're easy to intimidate and ruin their lives, etc. And then ex corruption can't be exposed. That's essentially what happened to Gary Webb. Um, You know, he uh, he tried to expose the CIA um, being the trafficker for crack during the 90s. And it ruined his life. And then they found him in a hotel room with two gunshot wounds to the back of his head. Not the front. Um, and he um, supposedly he committed suicide. I know a lot of people shoot themselves twice. But they ruined his fucking life. Um, and um, that's what happens with lone wolf journalism now. So, you know, and the police state, you know, isolation is dangerous when it comes to the police state. So if we're going to break intense stories, we need to work with collaboration. We need to understand these basic protocols. We need to adopt this new form of journalism called radical sharing. We need to stop thinking about the scoop and start thinking about the bigger picture is that our oligarch class of people in this new neo-feudalistic state we live in um, want to remain in power. And the only way we're going to get our republic back is if we adopt these new forms of doing things and we don't subscribe to lone wolf practices because what it does is it isolates us it makes us easier to get stolen from it makes it easier for us to be targeted for intimidation um it makes it easier for the government to smear they can smear one person but how are they going to smear 12 different people working on different parts of the story in a hyper specialized manner it's going to look awfully weird right and it just helps to circumvent those practices and I really think for journalism going forward, it's going to be the big stories that get us our country back. And we're going to need to employ these protocols. We're going to need to understand it's about the mission. It's not about our egos. Otherwise, we're just going to be spinning our wheels. And if any of us ever comes across anything of merit that could bring down somebody significant... Or a family. 
a significant family, political royalty tied in with the intelligence agencies. Like in my case, um, it's a lot hard to do if it's spread out over a team, if it's done so in a manner where you understand the basics of protecting yourself and keeping an eye on things. And yeah, this is how we, you know what I'm saying? The, the, the biggest stories to get our Republic back are going to be stories that um, are big and they're going to require many specialized people. At the same time, we need to decentralize the way we report on the news, publishing all at the same time from different outlets, working on the stories collaboratively, um, protecting ourselves, making it so we're not isolated, just all these things. But this new radical sharing format of journalism is going to be absolutely essential that the International Center for Investigative Journalism employed. It's going to be absolutely essential for hitting these golf balls and getting these holes in ones and protecting ourselves the whole way there. I hope this message finds you as I broadcast from San Diego from deep inside the filter bubble. Gosh, you guys, um, I had to add this at the end of this podcast. Um, cause I was so tired and I finished this last night. I forgot. Um, yeah. So also when you're writing down notes, Write as small as you can when you're when you're working on your story, what have you. When you're writing down, I have a couple more things. When you're writing down notes, literally try to write as small as possible. I mean, as teeny tiny as you can, but you can still read it in your handwriting, which means you're gonna have to practice and get neat at it, because most pinhole cameras, hidden cameras, and stuff like that, which they like to put above working spaces, um, something that. Um, corporate espionage people often do to try to steal things that people are working on, especially if they're like drafting plans or what have you. So put a pinhole camera above their working space, looking down on top of their desk or what have you. So in order and those, but you know, considering since it is a pinhole camera, the resolution isn't like mind blowing. And, um, if you want a little extra protection or make the, and I'm not saying it's going to make it proof, you know, steel proof, but I am going to tell you that it's going to make it significantly harder for them to read your really tiny handwriting for things. So when you're writing notes, write teeny tiny if you can, and you have to practice for this and understand where, you know, where they like to put cameras is they like to put it, hide it into your electronics. So you have speakers in your computer room or, or uh, in the room that you work or things that face your working space or face you or near you just understand the more things that require power the, m the more likely they're going to incorporate a bug because it'll tap into the power source so they never have to come in and recharge it because that adds to logistics problems um they'll find out what speakers you use they'll find out what monitor you use whatever and they'll even create a hacked one so let's say they find out oh hey i know someone who can get access to your working space what they'll do is they'll find out what computer monitor you have. <clears throat> Excuse me. Or they'll find out what keyboard and mouse you have or whatever. And they'll go and work on a hacked version of that, which will um, allow them to, because you're plugging it in as a data link into the brain of the computer, it'll allow them to see what you guys are doing. It'll allow them to record your keystrokes. It can blue jack. So what they'll do is they'll swap out your equipment for hacked versions of things. <clears throat> So it's important to kind of 
personalize the things that you buy. Um, <clears throat> I think a great way, when I mean personalizing, Casey Neistat does these things with his glasses where he personalizes them. That's primarily the best way I can put that. Do you want to make it so someone can't just swap out another version of your thing? And you'll never notice because it's the same thing. This mass production, you know. So also, you know, keep that in mind. That's a way a lot of information gets stolen. Um, also, if you want to block cameras, sheets aren't going to work. Let's, because I know some people where they have their workspace where they put up like sheets and stuff like look. The only thing that's going to work is a Mylar tarp. Specify tarp, not don't get a Mylar blanket. You know, those like emergency blankets look like foil where there's these ones where there's these tarps and they're rugged like tarp material, but they have the Mylar in it. And what that does is it will block every kind of camera trying to see because you have no idea. I was using tents um, when I was working on things. I was using all sorts of things like there are cameras that can see through shit and and pick up various wavelengths of light, etc. So you want to completely block out. So if you want to remain safe, you know, your quilt, etc. You have no idea. It's crazy. Um, get a Mylar tarp. And there are different ways that you could hang it above your workspace. And so it's high up, but it's still blocking, you know, the, um, the ceiling. So someone couldn't like, you know, poke a hole in your popcorn ceiling and put a pinhole camera in there. Um... You know what I'm saying? You can have it close, kind of hovering over you, your workspace, so no one can see your monitor through the window or what have you. Um, but yeah, Mylar tarps beat cameras. Those are the only things I can guarantee beat cameras without you putting a bunch of heavy blankets and sheets and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, but the Mylar tarps absolutely stop everything. Infrared, cameras, all types of cameras. So you can put those, you know, you can... You know how like some of those outdoor spaces now they get creative with the those sunshade tarps and they like they're like tethered tarps and they're kind of like a cheap way to make like a gazebo or whatever. You can kind of do that over your workspace if you're worried or what have you. I mean, get creative with it. But mylar tarps are the only things that absolutely stop cameras. Um, cameras can see through cloth. They can see different ways of light. They even have cameras that can see through um, plastic. So they can be inside of a plastic container. And when you use those hide a camera, those those camera finders, those infrared camera finder things that reflect back uh, um, lenses, um, you won't see it. But they can make cameras that see through plastic. Crazy, right? Because of this very subtle wavelength of light that still makes it through and the camera can receive it. So it's pretty gnarly. But... Yeah, mylar tarps are the only things that can block cameras. Yeah. I want to think if that's it. Um, yeah, and just, you know, all the other things I said. Um, it's important, yeah, that, you know, if you're, you, you split those things up and you work on it as a team and you pick your publish date and you guys all publish the story at the same time in different publications, etc. Because it's going to make it harder for the government to censor that shit. And, uh, yeah, I hope this message finds you as I broadcast from San Diego from deep inside the football bubble. We have had an update to how we are hosting this movie. Um, I was already getting a report from lots of people saying we can't see the movie. It says this movie's not available in our area. Some people say this movie has been removed. 
thanks for bringing that to my attention because I was just sitting there just like, man, there's so many of you guys, you know, who tune into the podcast. And, um, you know what I'm saying? I got some high numbers for these, uh, for these director commentary episodes. And, um, it, now this totally makes sense because now YouTube is sent me a copy strike notice on our backup channel and our, um, native channel for the mesh news project where we're hosting the film. Um, it says that it is full It says that it's full of misinformation from COVID, even though I literally took all, all the material from this movie is made from clips I procured off YouTube. So how is this information illegal? Do you understand? Like, how is this information illegal if I downloaded it all from their platform? I guess they just don't like the order of how I put things. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? So it's not illegal content if it's not put in larger context for a giant grift. Do you understand? Like, how crazy is that? But yeah, all the stuff, all the stuff that's on my, on this movie is all pulled from YouTube, all YouTube clips. So how is it something that is, well, well, I'll tell you first, it was telling me that I had copyright notice, right? And then I, then I kept getting reports that then I, then that this content was, um, not suited for minors. And then I got a takedown notice and in that order. But I, you know what I'm saying, I just went back and started checking some of the uh, other podcast platforms and people reporting Broken Link. They said, this movie's not available in my area, etc. So, yeah, I'm sorry. So we've had to move the movie to Odyssey, which sucks because it really, you know what I'm saying, it really hurt the debut of this film. Obviously, that was most likely on purpose. But, so we've had to switch to Odyssey. You don't need an app to use Odyssey. Odyssey's a video sharing platform, but they don't have regulations on what you can post, etc. It's kind of like how Elon has made Twitter. He just free speech, you know what I'm saying? People can say what they want and then you make sense of the information that, you know what I'm saying, you take in. So we're on Odyssey. I've updated all the links and all the podcast descriptions. So please refer to that Odyssey link because um, for some reason, this information is illegal in YouTube's eyes, even though I pulled it all off of YouTube. Isn't that crazy? Anyways, I appreciate all the support. I love all the comments. Um, I'm sorry I'm taking a while to get back on feedback. I'm still uh, recovering from COVID. But um, yeah, thanks for giving me that update. And now I'm really understanding what's going on, especially now I see these comments of people saying they said it's not available in my area. I live in the United States. Like that's, I can't believe that. So yeah, we're on Odyssey now. So go ahead and check out the film on Odyssey. Thanks, you guys. Go ahead and refer to that link in the description. It's in between the two finger-pointing arrow hands. Thanks.